grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Looking at those scripture readings, you've got to kind of wonder about God's will. Well, I suppose you don't have to look at those scripture readings to figure out in your own life. You kind of scratch your head sometimes about God's will. I mean, why does He do the things that He does? In the Old Testament reading, everybody's language was the same. It was the perfect opportunity for the gospel to spread. Everybody understood each other's language. There was no need to study over a book and memorize vocabulary or other means to, in order to learn another language to proclaim Christ. Everybody knew the same language. But the problem? The problem is the same problem that all human beings have. Thinking that we have the idea to fix or ensure the continuance of our own ideas and thoughts, philosophy, and culture. The people that are gathered around that Tower of Babel were thinking in terms of what can we do to establish ourselves and not let anyone forget who we are. The problem is they forgot God. And that is how it is most of the time when we try to figure out God's will, because it runs against ours. Then, God changes His will, seemingly, in the second reading when on Pentecost all of these different people are given the ability to speak in another known language without ever having to study or learn vocabulary. Now they are speaking the Word of God in a language they have never learned, yet people who hear it in their own language hear it and are amazed. And God is doing the exact opposite. Now that which He confused at the Tower of Babel by giving everyone different languages, He kicks it off in unity, but the unity isn't around a common language, is it? The unity is around the common Lord, Jesus, that is spoken in different languages to different cultures. That's the unity. So that which seemed to be a scattering of God's humanity and causing problems really spared humanity from going to exactly, from going down there away from God. Take a deep breath and listen. I've got something to tell you. Do you remember those times in your life when everything seemed to go very smoothly? When your work was a joy to arise and go to the co-workers with which you worked were enjoyable and affirming of you. When your children seemed to everything go so smoothly for them, and you as a parent assumed you had actual control over your children. Your marriage was affirming and beneficial for one another. And at the end of the day, you would sit there and reflect and say, 
God is good. Thank you, Lord, for all this goodness. And doubts and fears, anxieties and problems seem to be nowhere near the still waters of your life. Prior to this statement that Jesus speaks in our Gospel reading, so was the life of the apostles. They didn't get beat up. They didn't get cut, burned, hung, sawn, crucified while they were with Jesus. They were always fed, always cared for. Everything seemed to be going very smoothly and wonderfully while Jesus was with them. Then he tells them these things the night of his betrayal. In fact, moments before he was betrayed. And it's interesting because one of the apostles speaks a question right before this is spoken by our Lord. And the apostle asks, you know, Lord, you've manifested yourself to us. We see, we believe, we are enjoying the miracles that you've shown us. Why don't you manifest yourself to the world in the same way? Almost as if when you're going through those smooth times, you think, Lord, I, I see that you are good by all of the things that are going on in my life. Show that to other people and they'll be convinced that you are loving and gracious. Jesus responds in a very unique way. The first part of his response is a summary of saying, there are either believers... Anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Or there are unbelievers. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Yeah, but Jesus, all you need to do is to manifest yourself to them in such a way that they'll respond as we responded. All you got to do, Lord, is repackage yourself and change some things. That's all you got to do, Lord. Kind of like all we got to do as a culture, the people that are gathered around that great tower of Babel, all we got to do is build this tower, show the world how great we are and ourselves, obviously, who is the world, and then we will be reminded of our greatness. Well, in the same way as you remember those times when things were so well, you also remember very well when work was a pain to get up to go to. You didn't enjoy your co-workers. Children were going through difficult times of middle school and high school. Lots of times they acted as if they didn't love you at all as a parent. And your marriage was kind of unhealthy. And as you reflect upon those times, you had to have asked yourself the same thing that we know our disciples, the disciples of our Lord ask, Lord, where are you? Why has it got to be this way? Why do you have to thrust me into such uncomfortability? 
Can't you just manifest yourself like you did before? Can't you just package yourself in my life into such a way that I don't have to go through this? Is this really necessary? Because remember, when Jesus gave the gift of the Holy Spirit on this day that we're celebrating, and those people were given that ability to proclaim God's Word in another language, and those people took it back with them to their various regions of the world, and the church was born, all hell broke loose. Because you've got people being killed for the sake of the faith now. And Jesus doesn't stop it. You've got people being spat upon, torn apart, and completely turned away by their family and friends, and Jesus isn't stopping it. And you also have apostles, these same apostles who were fearful, gathered in that upper room after Christ's death. And what were Christ's first words to His apostles? Peace be with you. He found them in their fears and in their anxieties and greeted them not with reprimand or anger, but peace be with you. What does this mean? Commercial break. A lot of you all came to church today. We're glad to have you. Come a little bit earlier next Sunday and join us in Bible class from about 9.30 to 10.30. It's a great way to start your day as well as coming to church. And we're talking about this very thing, this wrestling with our flesh and the devil. Join us. Back to the text. Our church is in such a time as the disciples found them after the gift of the Holy Spirit came. They weren't coddled any longer. Tough decisions had to be made. Decisions that they didn't want to make. And they had to bear the consequences of those decisions in their hearts. Out of all those twelve apostles, only one was spared martyrdom. Now that's a great business paradigm, isn't it? Send your salesmen out with the greatest message of the world and let them be killed. What kind of a God is that? And yet the church took off, grew, and God by His Holy Spirit emboldened people to do things they did not think that they could do. Because they viewed things through their mind and through their heart and not through what God had revealed to them by that Spirit. You see, the world promises a lot of good things. But the good things that this world promises are never, ever eternal. They're always temporary. They taste good for a while, they feel good for a while, and then it's gone. And it leaves us yearning more and feeling very unsatiated with a bitter aftertaste. And it always disappoints us. Christ promises good as well, but His good is eternal. It awaits us, and it's not here all the time. 
We have those moments when we look at things and say, wow, God is so great, everything is going so well. And we have those times when it looks as if, God, you've abandoned us. You know those times when you've had to look at your son or daughter and say to them, honey, I'd love to buy you that, but I can't afford it. Your mom and I can't afford that. You've talked about it with your beloved bride. You saw her eyes light up when she saw that house. And after doing the math, you realized, honey, we can't afford that. I'd love to give it to you. Because we men love to give our wives good gifts and our children good gifts. And sometimes we have to make those difficult decisions, and it's no fun. It hurts to look at someone you love dearly and say, can't do it. I'm sorry. Who's to blame? The church leadership, the pastors? You're a member of this church. You have as much to share in this blame as anyone. So who do we blame? When the disciples were in that upper room, after Christ's death, before he revealed himself to them, you kind of can only imagine, we have no scriptural proof, but you can only imagine if human beings are human beings, and all of them scattered like a covey of quail when Jesus was taken, guilt was upon their shoulders for what they had done. Guilt can be upon our shoulders for what we could have been, should have done, but didn't. Doesn't do God a whole bunch of good for us to sit here with this guilt, does it? Doesn't do each other in the pew a whole lot of good to feel guilty. It doesn't matter whose fault it is. But God finds you today by His Holy Spirit in the midst of all the concerns and cares of your mind, whether it's on this church or on your own life. God finds you and greets you with that which he left his disciples and greeted them with it again, peace be with you. This peace is not a feeling and it's not the lack of trouble and difficulty. This peace is Christ. He is peace incarnate. He is that which God the Father has said, with you I am well pleased. He is the one who says, the Father and I wish to make our home in you. In the midst of all of your fears and anxieties, we wish to dwell with you. Or why would he have come back to that upper room and greeted them in their fear with peace be with you if he did not want to still dwell with them? You he still wishes to dwell with in the midst of questions of which you cannot understand or answer, of which we can sit here and question and ponder all we desire, He still wishes to come to you. He does remind us that this world is not where it's all at. It continually pulls us to the here and the now, as it did to the people of Babel, thinking that they needed to do something here and now. This is what we've got to do now. And in the midst of when people had no idea of what to do at Pentecost, did God give them marching orders 
and reveal to them what they should do. Go preach. You have to wonder if Paul, as he laid his head upon that chopping block and saw the shadow of the axe rising and falling, if he did not think in his mind, Lord, your will be done because your will is all that matters. Our Lord said, let not your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And the do not be afraid really means don't be cowardly. Let not Satan harass you. Let not his attacks and his troubling of your heart and mind cause you to be removed from the one who abides in you and with you. The Spirit has come to you through this word and through that Lord's Supper and continually draws you back daily. And in the midst of your fears, does he come again? He doesn't wait for you to clean up your fears. He doesn't wait for you to get rid of your anxiety, to get a grip on all of the things that are all coming unraveled. He takes you as you are. Just like a parent does your own child. When your child acts perfectly and fulfills all of your expectations, they don't become more your child. When your child acts less than your expectations and completely disappoints you, they don't become less your child. They are your child because you begot them. You are God's child because He begot you of the water and the Word and called you to faith, and He abides in you as you are. And you are succored by Him and nourished by Him. Then it's kind of an interesting ending to the text. All of a sudden, this seriousness comes to a close, and he says, rise, let's go. And so it is this morning. Okay. It is what it is, and God has given us what we need. Let's get up and let's go. We can't sit here. We can't self-analyze. We must receive what God has given us, and let's go. He's given us things to accomplish. Let's go. And the peace of the Lord will be with you always. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and your minds on Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.